This is Voices Up, and I'm your host, Kat Stein. Growing up can be difficult for anyone, especially in a small rural town. So this week we're asking, how can you escape your immediate surroundings to learn more about yourself and the world? Our reporter, Bailey Barlow, a recent high school graduate from the tiny town of Marathon, Texas, has found that one of the best escapes for her has been through books. Recently, Bailey found a book that she particularly loved called Kings, Queens, and Inbetweens, written by an author named Tanya Bethaju. Bailey was so moved by this book that she reached out to Tanya to talk, and this week they met up via the internet to have a conversation about her book and about LGBTQ issues as they relate to younger people in rural communities. Hi, Bailey. Hi, Kat. Your birthday's coming up, right? Yeah, it's next Saturday. Do you have any fun plans? No, I don't think I have any fun plans. <laughs> Do you have any unfun plans? Yes, I have some unfun plans. <laughs> what is an unfun <laughs> plan? Well, I kind of have to attend a funeral. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta roll with it. That's true. And hopefully your interview this week will help a little bit. I really hope so. I'm so excited. Yeah, so tell me about the person you chose. I chose Tanya Bodeju. She is an author. I read her book, Kings, Queens, and Inbetweens, and I was just so captured by Nima's story and how she figured out facets of her identity through drag and through her friends and all of that just really captivated me. Although I found some familiarity in her book, I felt like she had a perspective that I wasn't able to have, that I'm not able to have. And I thought it would just be really interesting to talk with her and get kind of a view on how she sees LGBTQ issues, you know, culture, so on and so forth. Did you know about Tanya before you found the book? I went to Barnes and Noble because I was doing book scouting for our public library. So I saw that book and I wrote it down and my boss ordered it and I decided I'd read it. That is so cool. That sounds like such a fun job. It really is. I enjoy it quite a lot. I bet I would too. Why did you like kings, queens, and in-between so much initially? There's this idea of a character who doesn't have all the answers. And I know that a lot of the community is tired of entire, like, not not tired of coming out stories, you know, as a thing, because those are important, but tired of just the same one over and over, basically, I think. Like, I would put it that way. So, you know, seeing someone who was stumbling along was kind of like a breath of fresh air you know if you if somebody reads it and they don't have all the answers they'll see oh this main character also doesn't have all the answers and they're not like perfect but they're they're figuring themselves out and they're immersing themselves in this culture this drag culture and this is how like you can find ways to access the community through other things it was just this this feeling of, wow, this really touches me. What all are you most looking forward to talking to Tanya about? I'm really excited just to talk to her, like get to know her, get get her point of view on 
specific matters with LGBTQ youth, some perspectives in her book specifically, and, you know, what she meant them to be, what she wanted them to say. I'm interested in her upcoming release, Bruised. Those are kind of the things that I'm gearing towards for this interview. I'm so glad you get to talk with her this week. I can't wait to hear your conversation. Hi, Tanya, and welcome to Voices Up. Thank you for having me. When I found out I was going to get to interview you, I got, like, really excited. <laughs> let's, let's kind of get to know you a little bit. Your name, where you're from, what you do. Well, my name is Tanya Bethaju. I'm a teacher and a writer, and I live in Vancouver, BC, which is also primarily the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. I was born and raised in Victoria, BC, and moved to Vancouver for school, and then never left. Um, I've been teaching for about 20 years, and I wrote Kings, Queens, and Inbetweens, and I have also written a book called Bruised, which is coming out next year. I'm very much interested in authors' lives, you know, how their, how their lives and their books will kind of mesh together in some ways. I'd like to ask you, what do you do for fun? What areas of study do you enjoy? And how do these show up in your novels? Um, I would describe myself as a bit of a nerd, so <laughs> my fun looks like reading and writing. But I also love a certain amount of fitness. I love going out to eat. Uh, my partner and I love food together, and so we do a lot of eating out and cooking together. And I also really enjoy author events, literary events. Um, I think those are actually really fun. A lot of those things, I guess, inform my writing, you know, in terms of kings, queens, and in-betweens, you kind of see in Nima, my protagonist, um, she really loves reading. Um, she's a bit of an introvert, uh, and I describe myself that way as well. I also appreciate, you know, lying in a hammock and reading, um, as Nima does. And you mentioned that your introvertedness, Nima shares some of that, some of your love of reading. I was wondering what other parts of you most show up in Nima? Definitely that introversion, that um, appreciation for quiet and reading on the patio with a nice tea kind of thing. Her insecurities certainly reflect some of my own, especially as a young person growing up, feeling out of place, feeling not particularly attractive or traditionally attractive, I guess. We have that sort of contrasting part of our personalities where we really appreciate quiet and aloneness but then we also like to perform on stage and get a lot of energy and excitement out of that. What do you hope that your readers have and will take away from your two novels? The thing that I hope they take away especially young people who are reading the books that both books share is a sense of place and a sense of connection, connection with the characters, but also seeing through the characters that they, that there's a place for them in the world, even if they are, you know, kind of quirky or 
or maybe their appearance is a bit different or their sexuality and their gender are a bit different than the so-called norm. I hope, you know, with Bruised, that young people will see the benefits of being vulnerable and not having to hold up a facade of strength and polish, um, as a lot of the young people I work with tend to do. And I hope that they find enjoyment. Like, I actually just hope they enjoy the story and are immersed in it and feel joyful at the end, I think, for both books. Even though Bruised is maybe a little bit different in tone than King's, my aim was to end on a point of joy and play and a sense of satisfaction, of inspiration, I guess, more so than how some books rightfully end more with a sadder tone or maybe an unsettled tone. I'm so excited for the upcoming release. When I first saw King's, I was compelled by the title and the cover. And the backdrop of the story was very familiar to me as I live in a very rural community. And I found myself picturing less city streets and more of the neighborhoods that I'm used to. I think that where things take place also have a really big impact on your identity. Did you base it on anything or anywhere specific? No, not really. I didn't have a specific town in mind. I had an imagining of small towns. I don't live in a small town by any means. um, And I never have lived in a small town, but I have this weird draw towards them. Um, And it's probably a very romanticized view based on movies and books. In my mind, I was sort of thinking about some of those images and some of those characters that I've seen in literature and in TV and movies and basing the small town in Kings on that. I actually drew out a little map for myself of what the small town looked like and what the streets looked like and that kind of thing and where things were placed. I think it's amazing that your view of small towns, even maybe never having lived in one, it matched my familiarity with them to a point where I could visualize these things happening in a place near me. I was imagining the streets of a slightly larger town right next to me that you would probably still consider very small. I was imagining secondhand and thrift shops that I know about there. I was imagining the streets, the fair that happens in our town on Noche Buena. I was imagining, you know, just the general backdrop of where I live in my life. That's really great to hear. I'm I'm glad <laughs> you're you're more of an expert on small towns than me, so it's really lovely for me to hear that. So thank you for for sharing that. Of course. <laughs> Was there a time when you felt like you didn't have all the answers about who you are? And if so, what lessons have you taken from that? Yeah, I constantly feel like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know whether we ever um, completely know who we are. Um, I think that's sort of part of the work of living, I guess. But when I was in high school, I was fairly outgoing, you know, very involved in school life. So it looked like I knew who I was. It looked like I was in touch with the things that mattered to me. And certainly I was to some extent. But when it came down to really being in touch with my feelings, my comfort with other people, building relationships with other people, getting close to other people, that part of myself, I didn't really come to know well until I was well into university. 
with Nima, I think she's actually more in touch with that than I was. You know, she has a couple of, well, she has one close relationship with um, Charles and she is connected to her father in a way that I certainly wasn't with my parents at that time. Yeah, I was definitely questioning. I wasn't even actively questioning. I was actively denying the question of who am I really, what's really important to me, and, you know, what's going to make me happy. I agree with you when you say, do we ever really know who we are? It just feels, I guess, particularly more potent as a teenager when you don't know who you are and you're surrounded by cliques of high school and all that crazy stuff. That leads a little bit into my next question. You know, the title of your book, I love, it's Kings, Queens, and In-Betweens. Who would you say are the in-betweens in the story? Yeah, the in-betweens in the book are really, I would argue that all of us exist in between. Very rarely do we sort of exist on the on one end or the other of us, any sort of spectrum. Particularly in this story, you know, in terms of gender or sexuality, Gordon stands out to me as somebody who is somewhere in between when it comes to his gender and his perception of his own body. He doesn't know where where that place is yet. Deidre as well, you know, I intentionally didn't identify her as trans, but in my mind she is. And the only reason I didn't identify her as trans is because my understanding of gender is such that there is just so much diversity in how people identify themselves and feel in their bodies. And, you know, she at one point introduces herself as queen, warrior, fairy godmother, um, and then, you know, the, the less interesting she, her, and so on. She, she does express herself as more feminine, and yet, you know, even Gordon notices at one point that sometimes she dresses a little differently and isn't as feminine. So I was really trying with her to express that wide range of expression that people can show in their gender and that that's okay and that we don't always have to name it and we don't always have to try and categorize it. Would you consider Nima to be in between whether it be with her gender representation or with her, you know, sexuality or with her, even with her perception of herself, even with her, her courage, her social outgoingness? Yeah, Nima definitely fits into the in-between in a couple of different ways. Her discovery of drag and her appreciation for it, her comfort with it, her sort of finding herself in a different way by doing drag definitely reflected a lot of my experiences with drag as well. And I identify as cisgender. I identify as um, queer and lesbian too. That's how I see Nima as well. That's sort of how I was writing her when I was writing her. But she definitely finds, you know, especially in that scene where she's putting on her makeup or Deidre's putting on her makeup for the first time and she looks in the mirror and she just sees something else, you know, something that she hadn't known was possible in her own face really sort of reflects that discovery of a different way of being in your gender. And I see her as cisgender, but I also see her as enjoying playing with gender, feeling comfort 
and uh, confidence in expressing her gender in different ways. So in that way, she's certainly in between. And then in terms of her sort of personality, like you said, her ability to go between very introverted and then on stage just shows that, you know, not not everybody fits into one or the other, that we all have different expressions of self and depending on where we are and who we're with and what time of life we're in. That's so important to be comfortable in who you are. You know, I know a couple young LGBTQ plus people in my area who have felt like they've been cut off from LGBTQ plus culture, partially due to our location. And Nima's discovery of drag and an open door into a culture that she might want to be a part of, that's a familiar feeling. Mm. So, you know, the importance of that, it was, it was just a lot. Yeah, I can imagine that, that it would be difficult depending on, you know, what you're exposed to, right, or what you have access to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to ask a personal question. Is that okay? Sure, ask away. I was curious about when you came out and the circumstances, you know, slash events, if you're comfortable with talking about that. Yeah, I'm I'm very comfortable talking about that. Um, I think, you know, my view is it's important for those of us who are queer and adults and um, at, at a point in our lives where we're comfortable with that part of ourselves to share it. Um, I think it would have been really great for me to hear that as a, as a kid. So I definitely try and be open about it. In high school, I was not ready to face up to that part of myself, even though I had inklings that I might not be straight. I waited until essentially the very last day of high school, my last exam, a few friends and I went out to a little cabin to celebrate. That was the first time that I came out to anybody. I came out to two of my friends, 18 by that point, I guess. And then I felt much freer to continue exploring that part of myself once I was out of, uni- uh, sorry, out of high school and into university because I was going from, you know, a smaller town, certainly not as small as where you're from, Bailey. So once I went to one of the bigger universities here, uh, it just sort of exploded my world in terms of the people who were in it and who I was surrounded by and what I was learning in, in classes and things like that. There's just much more diversity and distance too from my family, um, just a little bit of different distance, but enough that I felt a little bit freer to be myself. And finding community was a really, really big deal because UBC, the school I went to, had a pride group at that time and still does. You know, that was a really big deal for me because it was my first exposure to groups and organizations that actually promote diversity and welcome diversity and encourage it and meeting people that way too. I'm making this sound really easy, but it definitely wasn't. You know, my first year university, um, I got really scared and then I sort of went back in the closet and pretended to date boys and things like that. And then until second year university wasn't where I was actually, okay, this is, I need to, I need to really face up to this and I want to. And, uh, and that's actually who my core group of friends is now is people I met at university um, who are mostly queer. So it was really impactful. And then in terms of family, I came out to my mom probably sooner than I was ready to when I was 19. It was my first summer back from university. 
you might be too young to know this or remember this, Bailey. Well, you're definitely too young to remember it. But Ellen DeGeneres came out just as I was graduating from high school on TV. And so that was a huge deal at the time. I remember watching that episode where she comes out with my mom and my mom's reaction being fine, just, you know, sort of taking it in stride, no big deal, which gave me so much hope (laughs) that she might be okay with me being gay. And so I came out to her that summer. It did not go well. I was raised Catholic. So that was a big piece of the puzzle. She had a really, really hard time with it. And she and I, we, we kind of just ignored it for a long time. She's great now. It took a long time, but it was very difficult. Um, So, you know, ups and downs, certainly with my family. It's wonderful that you've gotten to the point with your family where it's better, if I would put it that way. It's very easy for people to deny parts of themselves, you know, even past sexuality, parts of themselves that they may not like. Are there any words of advice you might have to young readers who are trying to figure out their identity? You know, out here personally there's not a lot of resources and support so people i know have a bit of trouble you know they'll have to find the community and that's kind of hard to seek out so what advice might you have advice i'd have for young folks especially those who don't have a lot of immediate resources because they live in smaller towns um, or perhaps it's just not safe to do so for a variety of reasons um one Find comfort in books and um, television shows and YouTube videos. Those can be a great comfort. They can also show you what's possible. They can show you that people are out in the world um, living these lives and that it can be okay. The more you see that, the more validating it can be. Another piece is reach out to YouTube personalities or authors like, you know, like you've done here counselors or even helplines, things like that, definitely use those. It's really hard to admit, you know, that we're having some sort of issue or having a hard time, but there are people who want to listen and want to hear you. I can't say it's always going to be easy or always going to be perfect, but my experience has been that with time, people come around. If we look back at that moment I came out to my mom you wouldn't think, I wouldn't have thought at that time that anything positive was possible out of that. But there is that saying, you know, it gets better. And sometimes that's hard to hear in the moment, for sure. But my experience has been that that's really true. I'm really thankful for authors like you who have their books and they give pieces of themselves and validation to kids who may not have that opportunity. I really hope that kids that are reading your books are are receiving this this message from you because i i think it's a really good one thank you i i hope so too you know speaking of your book again in in the book nima enters the drag scene and i know you've said and your book kind of mentions in your bio that you were part of the drag scene in your youth how old were you when you entered, you know, when you were a part of it, what freedoms did you feel? What parts did you like? What parts did you dislike? Well, doing drag, finding drag, um, part of that university experience for me, because I I discovered drag uh, maybe in my third or fourth year university. 
so when I was about 21 or so, I had been out and in the community and had friends um, who were queer. And I went to a um, drag show for the first time with a friend of mine and just loved it. Loved the show, loved the crowd and the atmosphere, the energy that led us to wanting to try it. We put together a number together and perform um, at a drag show and just loved it. We both felt so much energy. It's such a rush. And so we kind of caught the bug. That really just sort of started off, you know, good 10 years of doing drag off and on in my 20s. It brought me a sense of self-expression, like here's another way to be in the world and I was sort of a drag king who was certainly more interested in entertaining, having fun, you know, mostly did uh, sort of upbeat songs and performances, really wanted to just bring, again, that sense of joy. Um, and then actually got involved with a theater company here um, who uh, really, their mandate was to create like queer positive theater. And um, they... Uh, I performed with them for a few years and we did really sort of fun, campy versions of musicals that were like drag versions. So the first one we did, for instance, was um, The Sound of Disco, which was this disco drag themed version of The Sound of Music. <laughs> so you kind of get a sense of how sort of silly and fun it all was. Um, but that was just like one of my favorite parts of my twenties being with that group of people, because it's all of these creative people, you know, drag Kings, drag Queens, uh, artists, you know, actors, um, performers, dancers. And, um, yeah, it was just such a really creative space. It was a place for me to get my theater fix, um, and just really have fun. And so... I think throughout my 20s, that was the thing that drag really brought to me was self-expression, joy, humor, so much laughter involved um, in rehearsing and performing um, and friendships. You know, like so many people I performed with, um, both people I knew before doing drag and and after I'd met or after um, that I'd met through drag. Um, and so great relationships created there, too. Uh, so drag is really um it's a community, right? Like, and it, and it brings so much community. And that's certainly something I got out of it. Do you still happen to have any of your outfits or, you know, do you have any pictures I should also ask? And do you remember any of your favorite numbers to do Dragon? I don't know whether I have any costume pieces. I had to downsize my tickle trunk <laughs> um, a while back, but um, my my friend and I did have a, we we were roommates as well, and we did have a huge tickle trunk. Um, so I probably have a few little bits and pieces here, but not too much. Um, now I do I do have lots of photos. They were actual photographs because we were pictures with cameras um back then I'm kind of glad <laughs> not a lot on on you know Facebook and things like that but um I do have some digital um photos I'm happy to send you I do remember some of my numbers and you'll find them familiar because some of them made it into the book my first solo performance was George Michael's Freedom 90 which is the performance that Winnow does in um, the first drag show that, that Nima sees. 
mine wasn't quite as racy as hers, but it was it was a little racy. <laughs> um, so I definitely drew inspiration from that performance. My very first drag performance with my friend, we did um, Millie Vanilli's Girl, You Know It's True. I mean, go find it <laughs> on YouTube. It's it's kind of funny, Bailey, because Millie Vanilli um, were these two guys who performed together. They're these beautiful black men um, with these wonderful dreads and they you know, danced and sang and so on, but then it came out that they actually lip synced everything. And so it was a big scandal. Uh, I still love them, I still love the music. So it was just kind of this funny layering on top of layering because obviously in, in drag, you mostly lip sync too. So we kind of played with that and had some fun with that. Um, and you see that in Kings as well, that a lot of the music is sort of 80s-esque. Yeah, and you know, I'd consider drag to be a really big part of LGBTQ plus culture, you know, when you when you hear about, say, the Stonewall riots, you hear a lot about the drag queens who led it, and there it's it's ingrained a little bit. I would consider it, and so I would like to ask what ideas you might have about ways to help rural LGBTQ plus youth feel connected to. LGBTQ plus culture, not just drag, but like history or activities or anything else that they could possibly get involved in for the culture. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a tricky one, so I guess depending on where you are and what you have access to, um, you know, the beauty of living here and now is is the internet. I know the internet has lots of problems too, but because so much is accessible via the internet and especially now with COVID you know so many things are going online um, which is obviously not the same as being in the moment with or being present um, you know at different shows and things but it can be really cool because it is it makes it so much more accessible and so you know for starters you can certainly find lots of different shows online a lot of drag shows have gone online um again not quite the same as being there but still you get a taste um you know there's a lot more drag out there than than rupaul's drag race a lot more variety than we see on that show um even though there's you know there's lots to be gained from watching it as well um as well as other kinds of shows that maybe go beyond drag to just you know art but that's art that is um centered on queerness or centered on the experience experience of being queer um and um you know I, I don't know what what's happening in terms of actual events around you or what you're able to access um but i'm seeing around here a little bit more aimed at um uh younger folks so you know like youth pride events um all ages drag shows that kind of thing and so if it's safe for you to do so you have somebody to go with because it can obviously be really nerve-wracking going to those things when you're young and and even when you're older and maybe just just exploring your sexuality um those are those can be really inclusive beautiful spaces to be in. I'm not saying all of them are like that, but a lot, you know, my experience is that a lot of them are because they're for queer folks, right? And they're, they're for people who don't always fit into the larger society. And so the aim is that they're gonna be inclusive. I really hope that 
you know, kids are taking advantage of things going online because if they didn't have easy access to a city or, you know, to a, a show, the internet, for all its faults, is a better way to get access to that culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and a safer way to write because you can do it from the comfort of your home or from a sort of private space. So it can just be a an opening to find out a little bit more. And that's very important, safety as well. I, you know, I talked about how a lot of the youth in the area, they may not feel like they're connected to the culture because of where we are. I'd like to know, did you ever feel disconnected from LGBTQ plus culture and therefore from LGBTQ plus people? And was it due to location or something else, you know, like your high school mentality or anything like that? In high school, certainly, I wasn't connected to that part of myself anyways. And so, and there was no representation. I didn't know any queer people. There was nothing in the curriculum that reflected that experience at all. Again, you can't really be what you can't see. And so I wasn't seeing any of that. I wasn't seeing any possibility for um, living um, as a queer person and being happy. And so definitely, you know, excluded, um, disconnected from it in high school. But one um, example that's coming to mind was when I went to university for the first time, my first year, and I was really excited to try and meet some queer people. Sometime in the fall term, um, I found out that there was, as part of the pride group on campus, a discussion group. You know, I called ahead to find out where it was, and I sought out the space, and I went up there, and um, you know, there's a good gathering of people, um, mostly men um, at the time, I think two other women at, the, at that point. I sat down and another, one of the other women sat down next to me. I'm not saying this with any judgment. She, she was maybe the, the stereotypical <laughs> lesbian, um, at least in my mind at the time, and, and obviously very out and very comfortable with herself. And she was just very comfortable and I guess assumed I was as well. Um, which I definitely was not. Um, and so just the way she kind of talked to me, just using language that I wasn't ready to use and her her whole demeanor was just felt very strong. That scared the heck out of me. <laughs> and that actually, I would say, was one of the main things that kind of scared me back in the closet for that entire year. It really terrified me because I just wasn't ready to hear that and be around that. So I took myself back into the closet and kind of tried to avoid any more possible interactions like that. I I understand not being ready for things. And I'm sure there's a lot of youth out there right now who understand that as well. You know, sometimes the, the jargon, it can be kind of a, a boundary because we're like, well, we don't know this. Are we supposed to know this? Does it mean that we're not real if we don't know this? I can I can see how that might have put you off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be a little alienating, can't it? Yeah. And we are in some pretty hard times right now, you know, and I was struck by the passage in your bio where you talk about where you live, the unceded territories, and I would like to know how how your concern for real life civil rights issues 
you know, that have to do with, you know, black, indigenous and other people of color and, you know, LGBTQ plus people, how might those feed into your writing specifically? Very heavily, yeah. Those, the issues of um, race, of sexuality, of gender um, play into my life a lot, both as an educator and as a person. As a teacher, I've been really committed to social justice inside and outside of school. And I, as a writer, that part of me definitely informs what I do and don't do in my writing. So I think it's so important to represent marginalized folks who haven't been seen in books to the same extent that white heterosexual men, able-bodied and so on have been. I'm on a I'm learning curve there too, because I can certainly speak to some extent about, you know, being a person of color, being a woman, being queer, um, but I am, you know, not in a disabled body. I um, have a certain amount of wealth. Um, I, you know, have a roof over my head and so on and so forth. And I'm also living on indigenous lands. Um, I haven't experienced the kind of injustice that a lot of black folks or indigenous folks have experienced. So I have a lot of privilege too. And so I definitely see responsibility in that privilege, you know, as a feminist, feels the responsibility to all folks to to have justice, to have equality. So in my writing, I am trying more and more to address and, and represent some of the groups I don't belong to. But there's obviously a lot of um, a lot of responsibility that comes with that. I'm very committed to race and equity issues at my school and um, doing a lot of learning about that as well. So like just constantly trying to get outside of my own experience and my own blind spots um, to see like what else am I missing or what what am I doing in my writing that might be hindering versus helping? Um, what am I doing that might be sending a harmful message and trying to rectify that? So that's constant, you know, negotiation and learning, but, uh, but I'm totally here for it and, um, and committed to it. That's just so admirable to me because there are a lot of authors who simply don't care like that. And so I, I, can, I think it's amazing that you're going to those lengths to learn about those things, to make it a proper if I can put it like that, like a proper, you know, representation to the best of your ability. It's really important. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. We've talked about your experiences. We've talked a little bit about kings, queens, and in-betweens. Now I want to ask, in lieu of the upcoming Bruce launch, what are you looking forward to? <laughs> Well, um, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how people receive the book. Um, you know, people talk about the sophomore book as being really difficult because, um, you know, it's it's your second time out. Usually that first book, it's sort of in you. I feel that anyways, you know, Kings was really in me. It was the story that I really wanted to tell. And I wasn't sure whether I had any other stories to tell. Um, but certainly I got the bug and I, I love writing. And so, but, you know, bruised, uh, didn't come as naturally. Um, Kings was a story that I kind of knew I was going to write, I think, in my 20s when I was doing drag, whereas Bruised, I had to kind of develop the idea. I am really proud of the journey that my 
protagonist goes through in in Bruised, because I think it's in some ways a harder journey than what Nima went through. So I'm I'm proud of some of the things that I kind of explored and experimented with and took risks on. Yeah, so I'm excited to see it in print and and hear what people have to say. I think it's great great that you put across maybe a harder story if we could put it like that in comparison to Nima's you know and I really I really like you know so usually sophomore books to me I find them very interesting because the writers getting into their stride so you said that you're writing you think it got better and I'm really excited to read and you know see that for myself Cool. Thanks for your excitement. It is a real honor for me that you uh, read Kings, first of all, that you enjoyed it and that you reached out. I am still constantly in awe of the fact that people read something that I've written. Um, and, you know, it's a bonus to um, have you have it impact readers, of course. And so, um, I really appreciate you were willing to share that impact because I think we all read things or experiencing experience things and are impacted by them, but we don't always reach out to let you know the person know that they impacted us. And so I I really really am grateful for that, um, and I'm grateful to you. I have one last question, and it's one that Voices Up asks all all the guests. Mm -hmm. If there was a visual metaphor to describe you and your work, what would it be? Wow. If there was a visual metaphor to describe me and my work, what would it be? Ooh, um, I think, I guess I'm just going to go with the first thing that came, comes to mind. And this is more accurate to my writing process, I think, than maybe the work itself is a cup of tea in my unicorn mug that I drink out of at home because tea is life <laughs> to me. Um, I'm rarely able to exist without it. Um, it's a, it's sort of comfort to me. It is, there's a ritual to making tea for me that's really important. And there's nothing like sitting down to write with a cup of tea next to me. Um, and then the unicorn part is really like that magical piece. Writing is really magical. It's, there's something so incredible about the process of discovering a story as you write it, um, discovering characters as you write it. To me, the unicorn, and the unicorn's been definitely co-opted. <laughs> you know, it's become this thing that every, you know, everybody loves unicorns, but I loved unicorns before they were cool. Um, and um, they've just always been to me like, you know, the magic of the queer community and the magic of being different or a little weird. And that's something I go for in my writing too. And so that unicorn mug with tea in it, I think is a good, good metaphor for a few different aspects of my writing and my writing process. Cool question. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that and for sharing everything. I'm, I consider myself so lucky. I'm so very you know, I admire you. And this has been an amazing experience for me. And it has been for me too. Thank you. So what was it like to talk to Tanya? It was 
amazing, enlightening. It was just basically everything I hoped it would be. And it felt like a conversation, which was really important to me because it made it easier for me to flow with everything. And it just it just made me feel very happy. That's so awesome. I'm so I'm so happy that you got to talk to her. What did you most enjoy about your conversation? I really enjoyed getting this insight into an author and I I enjoyed listening to her advice, how she how she thought about things, how she went about her processes. And it was very good for me as an aspiring author to hear all of that. And it was very good for me to hear that as somebody who tries to help other people, who tries to hand out advice as well. Yeah, so I know you have a lot of young people in your small, small town come to you. If they're struggling with their own identity, they come to you for advice. Did she offer you anything that you might pass on to people that come to you? Yeah, I thought her advice about how things you can find online, that was really a good step personally because, you know, you can find a lot of things online and more than just drag shows, you can find books online, you can find, you know, interviews, Q&As, experiences, coming out videos. And that's a very good source for kids in an isolated area who may not have that any other way. So since it is so hard for young people to be open about who they are, what does the library in your town do to support those kids and get help them get information? Our library, for being so tiny, it's a pretty advanced library in terms of what we carry for the young adults in the junior fiction areas. And, you know, not only in the books, which are like, we have a lot of fiction, we have some non nonfiction, we have some realistic fiction, we have graphic novels, you know, for these for for these experiences, but our library offers free internet access, which is really important to kids, you know, in the community, even if they're not LGBTQ plus, you know, that the internet access, it enables them to access a world outside of Marathon. And it's like our library is kind of like a fostering of creativity and you know innovation you help cultivate the the things that the library has right like you help pick out the books and stuff yeah i'll go to bookstores or i'll see new releases online and i will recommend them and i try to pick out books that are diverse for the kids of this community who may not experience much diversity they're so lucky to have you Thank you. Why do you think it's so important for youth from small towns like yours to have access to LGBTQ authors? Well, I think that who you love and how you present is a super important part of who you are. Even if you don't make that your whole personality, there's obviously going to be a part of you that has come out of a journey to learn those things about yourself. So not only that, but the remoteness of the area makes interactions with people like you an important like commodity basically. In the city, if you know when you go to when I go to the city, I'll walk around and I'll see people 
and some of them might have a lot in common with me. Now, for the kids in these towns, they'll walk around and they won't know that. They won't be able to know that, you know, unless somebody comes up to them and says something of the sort, or unless somebody is very open about it. And there's just a lesser chance out here. So the interaction of people and, you know, books, movies, TV shows, so on, that's really important. Yeah, so I guess, like, on top of there being fewer people like you, there's also probably more pressure not to open up about yourself to everyone, right? Oh, I definitely think so. You know, it can be astronomical. It can feel like the biggest thing in the world to, you know, even say one word of that sentence. It's it's just crazy how how much it can it can affect someone. Is there anything else that you learned you want to talk about? I think it's really important to remember that things will get better. Tanya described that having to do with her coming out and her personal life, that things got better, that they they matured over time. And I think that's really important because especially when you're isolated in a rural community, it doesn't seem like you're ever going to get out of there. But I think like the idea of keep pushing, keep going, things will get better is super important not just to kids in this rural community but kids like anywhere who need that extra push how does that relate to you and your life things will get better you know as a concept has been super important to getting where i am now because like in 2016 four years ago basically when i was starting high school Things for me personally, I don't know if it was just bad all around, but things for me personally were really bad. It was obviously like an election year for the ages and that had me like stressed out. And at the same time, a lot of stuff was happening at school. And, you know, I kept having to look forward to the future and think once I get to college, once I get to college, you know, all of this will have to work itself out. And For four years, I kind of just focused on college 2020. And I I have to say things really did get better. Like over the course of those four years, it became like, wow, this is getting real. And that was really important in helping me climb the stairs basically of life, getting to where I am right now. A thing about small towns is that A, everyone knows your business. B, everyone judges your business. And I know people will still know and judge and all of that, but I'm looking forward to getting away from this feeling that everything I do will like reverb. I'm looking forward to getting to a place where I don't have to worry that literally every single person is going to whisper behind my back. Totally. So you're looking forward to sort of some anonymity almost. Yeah, sort of, yeah. In these last four years, besides, you know, looking forward to college, what what were some other things that helped you? For the past four years, all my classmates, you know, have been guys or they've been people that I can't connect to. And I think a really motivating factor for me has been to find a place where I can connect with people and get this like 
found family of sorts, you know, something that I really need. I really like to look back on my times at the Duke Talent Identification Program summer camps. And those those two camp experiences, I met some one of my best friends, her name is Kaylin. And I've I've met so many people that have just been incredible. And I've had experiences that were incredible. And those have really been like lifeboats or anchors of sorts for me. Was it scary leaving at first? I I don't think I was scared. I think the only thing I was worried about, like I get anxious and I was only worried about will they like me? Will I fit in? And that was not a problem. I'm sure you fit in just fine. <laughs> Do you feel like you're gonna go back and read Kings, Queens and In Betweens again? Oh yes. Definitely. I feel like there will be so much more that I see in the book now with this experience. Bailey, thank you for giving so much time to this project and giving your voice and your questions. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me and for trusting me, too, because I know it's a big thing for someone to come in and be a voice for you guys. And Thank you so much for trusting me, giving me the opportunity, all of that. (laughs) Bye. Happy birthday. Have a good weekend. Goodbye. That was Tanya Bethaju in conversation with Voices Up reporter Bailey Barlow. You can find Tanya's book, Kings, Queens, and Inbetweens, online and at bookstores, and her upcoming release, Bruised, is set to come out in 2021. Follow Tanya on Instagram at tbethaju, T. B-O-T-E-J-U, or on her website, tanyabethaju.com. This conversation was led by Bailey Barlow. Music is by Patrick Thomas, and I'm your host, Kat Stein. We'd like to thank Nancy Ward for her recent donation to Voices Up. If you're interested in donating, visit our podcast site, voices-up.captivate.fm. Stay up to date with Voices Up on Instagram, at voices.up, and on Facebook, And don't forget to subscribe to Voices Up wherever you get your podcasts.